You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today, if you'll be turning, please, turn to John 13. We'll be in that text this morning, a study entitled A Demonstration of Service. We've come to the place where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In the Gospel of John, we find ourselves about two-thirds of the way through. But we'll find our next five chapters deal with the next five to six hours of Jesus' life. John spends an awful lot of time in the last day of Jesus before the crucifixion. So here in chapter 13, we're going to have the foot washing, also the betrayal that is uh, foretold, and the denial that's foretold. The 14th chapter will have Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus revealing the Father, and promise the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, the true vine, the hatred of the world toward Jesus, and thus also to his disciples. In chapter 16, the Spirit's work, and Jesus having overcome the world. Chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. And so all these events, the vast majority of which not covered in the other Gospels. Uh, Yet also, with this, for five chapters on the Last Supper, there is no record in John of the Last Supper, or excuse me, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper being instituted. So John tells us, it seems, what the others did not. And uh, the idea that the Gospel of John uh, already had, uh, the author did, already have access to the other Gospels, knew what was there, and so knew what uh, uh, he should expand upon and what he need, need not, I think is a pretty valid one. But in any case, we'll have now Jesus with his apostles uh, for uh, not quite the final time, because he's with them alone in the garden for his final time before his crucifixion, but the final time without being under a great deal of pressure. Of course, only Jesus could have handled this situation knowing his death was 15 hours away without an awful lot of pressure. And so uh, here we find Jesus calm, and we find Jesus composed, and we find him actually quite a bit more composed than those around him because he knew uh, with great confidence what was coming, as trying as it would be, as painful as it it would be, but also he knew the outcome of it. And uh, that's one of the things with us that troubles us. Uh, Sometimes we know a thing is coming. It's coming at us like a train barreling down the tracks. And we're, we're a little bit hesitant uh, in our regard to some of those things because we're not sure of the outcome. But Jesus was completely convinced of the good outcome, uh, and uh, not just for himself, but the outcome it would be for others. So that's our study today, a demonstration of service from John chapter 13. We'll read the first 17 verses, and then we'll make comments. Now, before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things 
into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who would betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. With that, let's pause for prayer. Lord. Help us to know and help us to do. Help us to be as Jesus. Help us to serve. Help us to do what is necessary. Help us to love to the end. Help us in all these things to look to him as our example, as our master and teacher. In his name, amen. We'll take this study of this text in three parts. We'll just put them all up here. We have a setting statement for us in verses one to three. Actually, the statement goes into four. What a sentence that is, verses two, three, and four, one sentence in my translation. What an amazing sentence, but we'll divide that uh, sentence to its latter part uh, to the service. So we'll start with (coughs) a setting statement. What's going on in the greater scheme of things? We'll then see Jesus' surprising service. And then we'll have the instruction that you should do as I did. So a setting statement first. Uh, We note that, uh, well, we also would note as we read, there'll be a statement in verse 2 and another in verse 11 about Judas. Uh, This morning we're going to uh, skip over those, so that's on purpose. Uh, We're going to talk about betrayal and denial next week. And we'll go back and pick those up, Lord willing. And so we'll talk about the service of Jesus. We'll leave Judas mostly for next week. Not entirely, but mostly. So it was the feast of the Passover. Again, as I said, verse 1, to set the setting. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus had 
uh, in some way had a room prepared that they followed a man with a pitcher and they found the room. Jesus and the apostles went there. I think there's some reasonable circumstantial evidence that it's uh, the house of John Mark's mother. Uh, anyway, uh, but uh, a house of, of, of a disciple where there was some privacy in this upper room. There, Jesus had his last supper, the Passover supper with them. So when we say the last supper, we mean the last Passover that Jesus observed just before he would become the Passover lamb for us all. When we say the Lord's Supper, we mean the memorial feast that he initiated using the elements that were there present, which is one reason why we insist to be with unleavened bread and with the, with the fruit of the vine. And so he gave that for his body and blood. Uh, John doesn't tell us about that. As we say, the other Gospels cover it well. But here Jesus, knowing that the time of his departure was come, that the hour had come that he should depart. We've had all these hours coming, hours coming, time is coming through John. In John 12, he announced publicly the hour had come. And now here, just a day or two later, it again stresses. Now again, and we are less than 24 hours from the crucifixion. Uh, 24 hours from now, Jesus will be in a rich man's tomb. It is time for him to depart from this world. He loved them, it says, those of his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. We are coming to the end of his time. <coughs> we are coming to the end of his mission. There's a, <coughs> pardon me, there's a hard bit between now and the finish line. But he will say the next afternoon, it is finished. And so we are into the final day. He has loved them without fail. And as the time has approached, and even knowing that in the heart of one of his disciples, uh, Satan is working and Satan is present. And it's through that that will be the instrument of his death that he still loved his people. And so even though we'll see from Luke's gospel particularly, Luke will tell us that they were arguing at this uh, last supper over who was the greatest, even though one is betraying them, betraying him, even though they're all being a bit petty, uh, even though uh, one of them, the one who pronounces the most that he's not going to deny Jesus, is going to deny him three times, even though they don't understand what he's doing with the washing, first saying, no, I, I don't need any of that, now, yeah, now I need more of that than you're giving, through all of it, through all the misunderstandings, pettiness, betrayal, upcoming denial, Jesus did love them. And you think about what he has loved us through and what he has loved us in. And the human condition uh, shown by these 12 has been repeated by every last one of us multiple times. And so still is the love of Jesus. And then that great sentence, it's all one sentence in my translation, verses 2, 3, and 4, of the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray. But Jesus still has in his heart love. And Jesus still has in his heart a great confidence uh, and a knowledge of what's important. And really verse 3 sets for us why he's able to do the things of verse 4 and following. He knew. Jesus knowing Jesus knew that the Father had given all things to his hand, that he'd come from God and was going back to God. When you know that God has given you 
the uh, right, the power, the job, the honor of doing this job, when you know you've come from God, and when you know you're going back to God, when you don't have any doubts, when, when you don't have any fears of social approval, when you don't have any reputation to uphold, when you don't have any kind of selfish thought involved, you can get a lot done. One of our politicians of a prior generation said, he said, you can get anything done in this town you want as long as you don't care who gets the credit. But if you want the credit, then you're not going to, because everybody wants the credit. So if the other guy can take the credit, you can get things done. Well, Jesus is that writ large. He is confident in his place with God. He can be humble in part because he has nothing to prove to others. His place, his value, his relationship is with God. Now from that flow all things else, including a great humility. If someone is full of themselves, if someone is full of pride, if they're trying to bolster their own position, if they're trying to save face or gain face, the one thing they were not going to do is they're not going to rise, lay aside your garment and take up a towel and then go get a basin of water. You're just not going to do that. You've got a reputation to uphold. And if you're putting yourself out like the apostles were arguing, again, Luke 22, 42 or 44, uh, Luke 22, 22, or 24, 22, there it is. Luke 24, 22. If you are like the apostles arguing over who would be the greatest, then the one thing you're not going to do to prove you're the greatest is to get on the floor and wash the other guy's foot. Of course, if you want to hinder another guy from ever washing your feet, just tell him you're better than him, right? If you want to make sure he never does that for you, let him know as he's doing it, well, there's a reason you're doing that and I'm up here. That'll, that'll, that'll put a stop to it right away if you like to stop that kind of thing. But if you're full of yourself, if you're trying to gain a place instead of knowing your place, if you can't get over yourself and serve like Jesus did, well, it's because you have some insecurity about yourself. And so Jesus had no need for self-vindication or self-promotion. And so he could humbly serve. And for all the, and not just here, it's not just from the apostles that I'm sure as he's washing their feet, they're, you know, like Peter, they're puzzled. But he goes ahead and does it and he takes the, the questioning but imagine what he's going to take, you know, in a few more hours. He's going to take the beatings, right? They're going to arrest him when he had the power to flee. They're going to mock him for his claim to be a king, though he was a king. They're going to put on him a crown of thorns, and they're going to put on him a robe by which to mock him, and they're going to make him carry his cross. They're going to nail him to it, and then they're going to cast dispersion upon him. And what's he going to do that whole time? Well, he's going to take that too. And so I do wonder maybe if his friends ribbed him a little bit when he got on the floor. But he can take it. I mean, he's, he's going to take a beating pretty soon. He can take it. But, you know, some guys can't take the ribbing, right? And if they can't take the ribbing, if they can't take that, how would they ever take a beating? No, he knows he's confident. He knows the Father's giving him all things to his hands. He knows he's from God. He knows he's going back to God. If you had that knowledge, if you had that faith as a certainty in your life, what could you do with it? 
that you weren't worried about what people thought about you. That you weren't worried that people, well, that not that beneath him? Why is he messing with that? Well, doesn't, can't somebody else do that? Doesn't he have better things to do? Well, maybe if somebody else was doing that, you could do the better things, but sometimes you do some, need to do some very basic things before some better things can be done. In Romans 15, this attitude of Jesus is referred to for us. In a lesson, Romans 15, 1 through 3, it says, Now we who are strong, well, who's going to, you're strong, right? I'm strong. Doug, are you weak? You're the weak one, right? You're the weak one? No. Who's the weak one? Well, let the strong ones, we're all the strong ones. Let those who are, those who are strong, they ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please themselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, just as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Just as it's written. This is from the Psalms, the 69th Psalm, which is the Psalm of betrayal, the Psalm for telling the uh, actions of Judas. Psalm 69, 7 beginning, because of your sake, I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. We know that from the temple cleansing cited there. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing... I became a byword to them. It goes on how this faithful one does for others. He mourns, he fasts, and people just mock him. No matter what he does, people mock him. And so it was with Jesus. No matter what he did, they mocked him. Every time Jesus was humble, every time Jesus was accepting, every time Jesus was kind, his opponents turned that into an opportunity for mocking and derision. And I just wonder, what would the Pharisees have said if they would have seen Jesus get up from the Passover meal to wash people's feet during it? They would have laughed that to scorn. They would have made that a subject of gossip for years to come. Even his friends had trouble accepting it, right? And so that's the kind of service to which we're called. The kind of service that other people go, what? Why? Really? That? Yes, that. So verse 4, the surprising service. He rose from supper. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself about. Not sure exactly at which point of the supper he did this. Again, we know his disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. That uh, in Luke is recorded after uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave them the Lord's Supper and they're arguing over who's going to be greatest in this kingdom that's coming. It logically seems to be that that would have been the time for Jesus to get up and do this. We're not exactly sure. He may have done this before they did that or he may have done it after. Logically, it seems the best fit after, but we don't know for sure. But we do know that supper had already started. He'd already, already started the Passover meal. Now imagine if you're at one of your family gatherings you're at one of your yearly family feasts, the Thanksgiving feast or the Christmas feast or whatever, the, the birthday feast in your honor. And during the dinner, you get up and go do acts of service. 
I think my wife will tell you, once I sit down with my supper, I am generally planted, right? How many of us are happy to take a phone call while we set for supper? How many of us are happy to get up from the table and do anything before we finished? He gets, he rises up from, it's not, hey guys, go sit down, I'll be with you in a second, I got something to do before I sit down with you. He gets up from the supper. So they've already started the supper with no one having washed their feet. They do have this private room, right? We, we know it was arranged for them to have this upper room where they could have a, a, a time of privacy. And it appears that the room did not come with servants, right? The room just came with them. They got the room. Well, one of the nice things about being all by yourself is you, you're all by yourself. Of course, the bad thing about being all by yourself is what? You're all by yourself. And so there was nobody there who was in attendance to them to do this washing of feet. He got up and he did it himself. This is the humility of Jesus. This is the one who is from God and he knows he's going back to God. And he uses that as an opportunity and a confidence to do good for others. If, if I were dying tomorrow and you had a feast, I might decide I'd be the guest of honor. Hey guys, let's make this about me. He already, he already gave them the, the last supper saying they are going to remember him. But in this feast, it's not about honoring him. It's about him teaching them. As it says in Philippians 2.6, that he existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Some would say, hey, Jesus, you're taking that servant thing a little too seriously, aren't you? No, you can't take that servant thing too seriously. He is a servant. He became a servant of us, though he was God. And just as our sins and foibles and follies, they are represented in the acts of the apostles, in the sins of the apostles, in the shortcomings of the apostles. And so it is that the service of Jesus to them is a service emblematic of the service to us all. And so he did the service that was needed. He put the water in the basin. He washed their feet. He wiped them with the towel that he had tied around himself. This is how this was done. That the, usually a servant, very often uh, a servant girl, one of the younger servants, they would do this job. The apostles, they're arguing over their importance. Jesus is on the floor washing their feet. Peter, and at least we, we do, we acknowledge Peter in his boldness and his brashness, but I think he represents a lot of us. We think, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, do you wash my feet? What, what is this? How is it that you are doing this? And Jesus basically tells him to hush, which sometimes you need to. Again, we appreciate him bringing up the fact of how untoward this whole thing seems because it does put the spotlight on it and allow for conversation about it. But basically, Jesus said, just hush and let me do what I need to do. What I'm doing, you don't realize, but you'll understand later. Just like we have to tell the kids, right? How many times do we tell the kids, you'll get it later, or we'll explain it later. Just for now, hush and go along. Uh, that's, that's what we got here. Just just let, just let me do this. This needs to be done. Uh, there's something to this, uh, but you're not going to get it now. Well, Peter, again, I, I, 
I've been given in, in my telling of this the implied hush. I think there was a very seriously implied hush there. He did not take the implied hush. Instead, he said, never, of course, never will you wash my feet. Okay, then, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Oh, okay, then I'll let you do it. It's amazing. And sometimes people take these things wrong. Somebody says, never, we're never going to do that. Never. If you take them seriously, then, well, that's a, that's a stone wall. We could never, we'll never get over that. He said never. Well, yeah, but did, did you think he meant it? Two-thirds of the time people say never, what do they do the next day? Right? Oftentimes the person shouting never is a really good prediction of what they're about to do. But in any case, he gets over, his objection is sort of over the top. His, his folding to Jesus' remonstrance is, uh, is good. And then he goes, the, he goes almost even with it too far, as Jesus said. But notice how Jesus, there's a little bit of explanation of I'm going to do this. And, and Peter goes too far one way. Peter goes too far the other. There's just a, a uh, calmness and a certainty to Jesus and the service here that he's doing. And Peter goes along with it. And so when you have somebody who, like Peter, it's, no, oh, never this, or yes, all of that. Just calmly keep going. And most of the time, they'll come along. And if they don't, well, okay. I guess they won't. But we note Jesus, he doesn't say, okay, well, you told me not to, Peter, then I won't. Right? What if Jesus did that? What if Jesus gave us the things that we, we say? Sometimes we say with great forceful demands, never will you wash my feet. Ten seconds later, he's washing his feet. Right? Aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't listen to us in our nonsense sometimes? Aren't we glad of that? We are. And it also, uh, when other people spout nonsense, because Peter, Peter's a bit nonsensical here, isn't he? There's a bit of nonsense in this. What do you do when somebody just kind of blows up nonsensically? Take it calmly and do what needs to be done. And most of the time, it'll work out. Unless Judas is there, but what are we going to do about that anyway? All right, so never will you wash my feet. Oh, well, if I don't wash your feet, I have no part, you have no part with me. Oh, in that case, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Lord, let's just set up the shower booth. No, we don't need that either. I'm just washing your feet because that's the part that's dirty, right? And if we just think for a minute, open-toed sandals, ancient city, you know, of a quarter million people, of which 100,000 sheep have just been brought to town, right, for the Passover. Yeah, we got we're going to need to wash some feet. All right, so, yes, just wash feet. Lord, wash all of me. No, he says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You're clean, but not all of you. Now, he didn't mean all of you. Uh, when he says not all of you, he doesn't mean everything but your feet. He means not one of you people, and that's a reference to Judas. But we'll leave that for next time when we talk about betrayal uh, and denials. All right, so I'm just going to wash the part of you that's dirty. And so now we see Jesus finishes that up. When he'd washed their feet, verse 12, he took his garments and he reclined at table. So now back to, back to dinner mode. He's done servant mode. He, um, wash, he, he cleans up. He puts his clothes back on. And now it is back to dinner mode. And so he says to them, do you know what I've done? Well, I don't think they hardly got it at all. 
Peter didn't get it while it was going on. I don't know that a lot of insight has been brought in in the last 10 minutes, right? And so do you know what's going on? And so he explains it to them without asking, waiting for the answer. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. So he's their rabbi. He is their master. They are the disciples, right? He's the leader. He's the director. He's the master of the group. And so I'm the teacher. I'm the master. I'm the leader. If I, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he doesn't say exactly how often they should do that, right? But shouldn't they do that now every Passover? Every Passover, there'll be a foot washing ceremony. I, I don't think so. Now, there are some churches that have places, uh, do have uh, annual or semi-annual foot washing. Of course, as we've stated often about that, if you're going to go to one of these ceremonial foot washings and you're going to be the recipient, what is it you are going to do before you go? You are going to make sure that you have been to the pedicure place. You are going to make sure that your feet are as perfumed as they've ever been. You're going to wear your cleanest socks. You're going to wear your nearest shoes. And one thing you're not going to show up to one of these ceremonial foot washing things with is a dirty foot. Because that's not what it's about, right? It's about the ceremony. Well, this is not about a ceremony. This is not instituting a ceremony. Now, I do say, if we were going to have one of those ceremonies, I would appreciate if y'all did all of that. right? I really would. Uh, because uh, uh, as the leader here, I'd probably be the first one to have to do it, uh, but uh, be, be the one who ceremonially washes somebody's feet. But in any case, no, it's not about a ceremonial service. Not that, we should, not that every ceremony is wrong or that ceremonies don't convey important thoughts, right? There's a reason why we have ceremonies, because they're important, uh, uh, significant events. But this is not a ceremonial service. This is an actual service. I gave you the example, you should do as I did. What I did was wash your feet when they were dirty, even though it interrupted my Passover dinner. Not to put too fine a point on it, by the way, my last one. When I was about to die for you. Right? That's what he says when he, he says, you won't understand this now. Even if he tried to explain it all to them now, it only fully makes sense in light of his death for them, right? That the one who would die for you would do this for you in counting down the hours before his death, he would do this for you. They couldn't have understood it until after the death. And so he says, you will understand later. And I think they did. And they never made that we have any record of a ceremonial foot washing service. But what they did is they spent their life in dedication to his gospel and in service to the people who believe that gospel. Isn't that what the apostles did? Yeah, they, they did understand the lesson. We always get on to them, and rightly so, when they don't understand. But if we're going to talk, talk about when they don't understand, let's give them credit for when they did understand. What did they actually do with this? So, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is the one who is sent greater than the one who sins. So I'm the sender and I'm the master and I'm the washer. So you guys go wash. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Now, James said almost exactly the same thing. Actually, he said it in the negative. If you know what's right and don't, it's a sin. In Romans 13, we have the same principle there. It says it's not just the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. 
So there's a justification, there's a blessing, there's a, 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 a sanctification, a righteousness, a lack of sin in doing what you know. So there's a blessing to do this. And as we mentioned, what did these men do? They gave their life in the service of the gospel and the people who believed it. And so they washed feet. I don't think they literally ever washed a foot in their life. But you think they, they certainly wouldn't have been opposed to it, would they? No, but if that was needed, that would be done. And so today, we who have the same lesson, and we stand with the uh, apostles here, uh, you know, our sins uh, and foibles and weaknesses uh, are seen in theirs and theirs in ours. But also then, wouldn't our devotion and our service, shouldn't that be seen in us as it was in them as they in this regard stand in the same place as we are? We often think of the apostles as, you know, the leaders because the church is built on the foundation of Christ and, and the apostles and the prophets. But in this regard, they are followers of Jesus. And what are we? The same. So we ought to do this. So they are then to go out and love and serve. We think about this. Uh, the apostle Paul, not one of the apostles present, but the come lately apostle. In Galatians 5, when talking about us being led by the spirit of God, and he said we're free from the law. In Galatians 5.13, it says this. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So that's the teaching of the apostles to the churches. Through love serve one another. That is the same as what Jesus just taught and showed here, isn't it? It is. And so today, uh, you know, we, we do know again, Jesus washed feet. But today, are there things that need to be washed? Wash for other people. I'm not talking about your own laundry. Right? But are there things out there uh, for others and out of love that, that need to be washed? Are there things out there that need to be tended to and cleaned up or bought or taken or given or done? How long is that list of things to be? Well, it could be a very long list. And, and one other thing we could do, and uh, we'll not because uh, of the time, but uh, you can look through the scripture at the phrase, one another. And if you look at the phrase, one another, through the New Testament, and you would find out what it says to do or not do, that might be a real good place to apply this lesson. Here's the bones of a lesson. I won't give it all to you, and this is not even uh, a third of what uh, the full lesson I have on the one another is, but... Here's a few things you're supposed to do to one another in Christ. You're supposed to accept one another, admonish one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, forbear with one another, forgive one another, be patient toward one another, and love one another. Well, that's a pretty good to-do list, isn't it? And if you would look up one another passages, there's a whole lot more of do's and don'ts as well. And so, yeah, of the things, again, that need to be washed or cleaned or brought or taken or given or done or or hauled off or hauled in uh, taken here uh, removed from there uh, things that people could use which would be a real help to them uh, to be uh, uh, ease their burdens well, let's let's do that 
Because Jesus interrupted his own last Passover dinner to be on the floor to wash feet. And so a loving service to people, especially those who love God, that is the thing that we're called to do. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.